Oh, so it's a bit chilly, Lucas. So I better take a drink of this very cold drink. You're a madman going for an iced coffee right now. While like I just glance into my garden and it's ice. Yeah, it's it's very chilly over here in the UK, isn't it? It's very miserable. It's got a cold this week, yeah. And do you know what? Like you know, I think it's going to be quite warming for us, and that will be having a nice long discussion about a wiki we found on the internet from somewhere or someplace. And if people aren't familiar with the format of wiki weekdays first of all hello thank you for tuning in i am your co-host cal smallwood joined as always by my other co-host lucas holland hi there i'm eating a biscuit while carl does an intro yes very professional <laughs> <laughs> it's just thing is though it's like people like that like the asmr people do where they like they like the sound of people eating and i can't stand it i guess some people are just born i understand yes. why it's satisfying to listen to because like I don't like it when it involves a person, but when it's, like, objects, like, I really like those TikToks where it's, like, songs of just, like, the marble bouncing off all the little, like, fake xylophone things. I'm like, I find that (coughs) nice, yeah. But, like, you know, you can't um, uh, decide... I say you can't really just pick or choose what it is you like. You like what you like. And in that vein, if you like one of the wikis that we cover this week, let us know in the comments and tell us which wiki won this week. Because we just go out there and we find something random. And what is it you found for us this week, Montreal? <laughs> it's very less than random. It is very targeted this week. Ah, you try to go for that algorithm. I respect it. I am, of course. And it's about a subject that you enjoy, but also don't. Um... This could be a lot of things. Yeah, because like you talk about preference and you like the things that you like, and of course, you know I know that you like the Tekken series, Carl. I love the Tekken series, but I know that there's a character in the Tekken series that you don't like, but other people do a lot. Is this Jin Kazama? <laughs> it's Jin Kazama. Okay, so that's the thing. I don't mind Jin as a character. Mm-hmm. My problem with Jin as a character is the same problem a lot of series have. Where Tekken is an ensemble game. There's a lot of characters, a lot of them very interesting, a lot of them colourful. We talked about King. Mm -hmm. The problem is, Jin is the most boring character. But a lot of people think Jin is like the coolest coolest. edgelord of all time. Because he's like, you know, he's the the young, plucky, edgy kid with the devil gene that takes down his dad and his granddad and... And, and And the problem is, is that the games focus too much on his story. Mm hmm and like the story of the Mishimas and it's like there's been seven straight games of telling me the same fucking story and like when I found out that like four of the Tekken games take place in the space of six months it's like they had four Jesus King Christ. of Iron Fist tournaments in six months because four like Kazuya took over G Corporation and then Heihachi came back and held another one and then Jin came in and then Jin starts World War 3 and then he rules an army and now there's an army run by Jin fighting an army run by Kazuya and it's like why would I root for a character who's actively destroying the world like Law's just trying to feed his family yeah that's the thing is we'll get into it and I think like it started off pretty successful as like just oh son hates his dad and tries to kill his dad like gets revenge and then much in the same way Kazuya tries to rebel against Heihachi but that was Tekken 3 We're in Tekken 8 now. It's been five fucking games. When the Tekken franchise started, it was like, oh, one dude threw his son into a volcano. That's fucked. Oh, son comes back and tries to kill dad. Oh, he has a fucked up son that then he treats like shit and tries to kill him. It's like, that was pretty fun. And then it just, it goes so wild. It's like, by the eighth game, where it's still focusing on the... It's like Star Wars. Do you know what Star Wars is interesting until you realise 
all nine movies revolve around one character. And he's like, does nothing else happen in this universe? Yeah. And that's like, it's the focus on Jim. 100%. When there's so many other more interesting characters in the game. Like, even like characters tangential to Jim. Of like, Ling Zhao Yu. Her character's interesting. Paul. Like, he's, been in the, he's the only character who's been in every single game. Also, you know, just Kuma. <laughs> Kuma. Kuma's right there. Kuma there. Running, like. But even like, if it's an ensemble, it'd be like when you play Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. If the game just said, like, don't you love Scorpion? It's like, well, Scorpion's cool. But can we see other characters? Of course you can, yes. Like, Sub-Zero turns up for a little bit. It's like, you know, it's like when you play through um, uh, the Mortal Kombat 1 story mode. Almost all the characters get their own chapter, including, like, the Jobber characters, which is nice. And never of course, the game revolves around... Mortal Kombat in the Dark Times did actually do that with, like, the Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub-Zero game. Like, which Don't sucks, you just yeah. fucking love Sub-Zero, though? And it's like, like yeah, Sub-Zero's literally the coolest. You know, I um, but like, yeah, I don't want an entire game where I'm just sub zero. Like, I want to play the roster, and that's the problem there. How it's like, it's not that I, I think Jin's a fine character. It's that the game focuses on him too much. When mm-hmm. Tekken has such an interesting and varied mythology with this ensemble cast of cool, fun characters, and they keep fucking doubling down on three characters who hate each other, and it's been the same story for five games straight. But that's why I thought Jin would be an interesting discussion for this one, because like a lot of people are probably going to be like, oh, Tekken 8 looks cool. What the fuck is going on with the story, and what's going on with this Jin dude? And no one cares. And like, I, thought thing, I don't care. Be, but I thought it would be a fun, interesting <laughs> yeah, discussion for like catching up people on it here would be, a little yes. bit. I can't wait till we get to the bit where we started World War 3. Because <laughs> I... I only play Tekken casually, so I don't know about all the bullshit that goes on in like the couple of like the latest games. Like all, six all and you seven. need to know, Lucas. Yeah, all you need to know is that almost every main character owns a company. Of course. So Jin owns a company. Kazia owns a company. Lee owns a company. Lars is the head of like a government agency, so basically a giant corporation. Kuma runs a company. <laughs> See that I respect. But it's just the idea, though, of, like, you're making the main character a dickhead billionaire who kills people. It's like, I'm not going to root for him! Yeah, and Jin Kazama, or yes. Kazuma Jin, is Kazuma Jin. Uh, one of the main characters of the Tekken series. He is featured on the cover He's art. the only character of the Tekken he series you nowadays. look he's, he's featured on the cover art for the console version of Oramus every sequel following his introduction in Tekken 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has been the main protagonist for the majority of the following entries ever since his debut, and his main motivation has been trying to end the Mishima bloodline to save the world from their evil. And then just smash cut to a picture of Devil Jin. <laughs> the thing is, as well, Devil Jin, I hate Devil Jin. Devil Jin is so edgy. Mm. And the problem is, is that in gameplay, Devil Jin's really good. And, and then it, a lot of people like Tekken because it's edgy. And it's like, whenever I say I don't like Devil Jin, it's like, no, Devil Jin's cool. And just put up a picture of Devil Jin. It's like, he's not cool. He's so edgy. He's so over-designed. Kuma's right there. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing. My experience with fighting against Devil Jin or Devil is just laser eyes, laser eyes, laser eyes. Or electric wing godfist, electric wing godfist, electric wing godfist. Yeah. And that's the problem as well. It's not only is he a really annoying character in terms of his characterization, he's really good. <laughs> so a lot of people play him, which makes him even more annoying that like you're losing to a character I hate. But Carl, fair play to Jin in one aspect because he's got some bad names. 
He's got something like, tell me about, that's the thing about Tekken as well, like, Joe, they've been doing the intros mm-hmm. of like, when they come up, like, um, when they, like, Lee Chow Lands drop yesterday, the silver-haired demon. Yeah. <laughs> and they brought back his voice actor, Joe, like, he's proper loud, like, what? Oh, he does, like, silver, oh, yes. he does, like, silver fang. They brought the voice actor back in to do all his battle cries again. It's <laughs> like, yes. Um, so tell, tell me his bad names. His full name is Jin Kazama, but yes. he's also known as Devil Jin. Of course, which um, is a different part of his personality. Yeah. Lightning of Fate. That, that's a good one. Yeah. And then That's a strong one. In line with that fate of lightning. Okay. And I'm just like, oh, the, the lightning of fate is such a strong alien. Because that's his theme, yeah. Like every character in the game has like um their it's which their battle like their battle effects, like when they punch you, is reflective of them as a character. Mm. For example, like Jin has lightning effects when he punches people. Yes. Yeah, true. Which yeah. is like, but like Jun, when she's come back now, she has like ravens. Oh, ravens. Like she, okay. Yeah, ravens. Like, specifically, it's like this kind of like raven from Japanese mythology that has like three eyes or three legs, I think. Where it's like, there's a link to The three eyes. There's a link to unknown. Right, okay. And then like yeah. King has um, a like big like explosion. It's, it's great. Every character's, it's fun. And um, yeah, then the rest of them are just. The Child of Destiny, respect, uh, Destroyer of Worlds. What what a main character. Can't <laughs> wait to root for him. What good guy. And then another one that I like, Pitch Black Wings. Okay, they're good, but will they ever top Kings of Anger of Beast? <laughs> he, he's too strong. Anger of Beast is just too fucking strong. And that is one thing that, you know, as we cover Tekken characters over whenever we do like the mm-hmm. band names are there for taking like so anger hard. of beast oh god like, anger it's just so good is like Tekken is such a mismatched series where like some of it is so cool and some of it they just don't know where to stop it's some of it is so lame like yeah. everything to do with the Mishima bloodline Heihachi Heihachi Kazuya fine it's when you get to Jin and then you start getting to the Tekken kids, like Lars. And everyone's like, don't you think Lars is cool? And they try to make him into like a fucking anime character. And it's like, no, he's so lame because he's, he's trying lame. so hard. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. It's like, they try so hard to make him look cool. that it goes, It's like Haorang. Haorang looks awesome right up until they put him in like the emperor outfit with an eye patch. <laughs> and it's like, no! He's it's like, like Haorang was really cool when he was just like a young martial kid artist. in a gi. And, like, that was all he needed. Oh, his biker look. Like, you know, bike, that's okay. Up and down we with already his had biker bi- look, but, yeah, it was still on the the more acceptable side. It's like Paul Phoenix, isn't it, of, like, when his biker look with the eraser head hair, and then now they've given him, like, a, he's still got the motorcycle look, but they put, like, a rope around his arm, and, like, he's got bolted armor bolted onto him and stuff. It's like, no, the more shit you slap onto his character design, the messier it looks. Yeah, it's like when Tekken 7 came to PlayStation Plus, I was like, oh, I'll just download that, because, you know, it's included, and it was one of those of I immediately just went to that, like, treasure mode to get some it, coins. So that I could buy everyone. I could like almost uncustomize all the characters because they've got so much going on. They're, they're just so busy. Mm-hmm. And the only one it makes sense for is King because he comes in wearing his like it's his <laughs> ring entrance attire. Yeah. And I wish there was an option to have it in the intro and then take it off for the fight. Yeah, and like the thing is, yeah, there's a lot of base character designs that I think are very 
very strong in Tekken. And even back to like Tekken 3 with Jin, like that was a cool look. Yeah, just the pants. Yeah. That's, there's, there's this, like, in character design theory, there's this like, uh, I'm probably going to butcher it here, but it's like the simpler a character is, usually the better. Mm. And no, oh, no, sorry, it's not, it's not that simple. A, a good character design, the way I've heard it described is, is one that a five year old could draw and an adult would recognize. So a good idea for character design in fighting games, Ryu. Mm-hmm. White gi, red headband, done. And obviously, Ryu's one of the earliest to do that, so you can't really make a character. If you put a character just in a white gi with a, a white gi, you'd think it'd look like Ryu. So you do... I understand it in that sense However, of, like, there's there's already a character who looks like this. So we even can't- in Street Fighter, there are all the, like, Ryu likes, like Ken and Dan yeah. and Makoto, and they all have distinguishable aspects to their character design, but they keep it simple. Yeah, and then in Tekken, like, you know, when you had Jin, when he had, like, the white pants with, like, the black flames, which is reminiscent of Jun's design, where it's, like, the white with the black accents. And then Kazuya, with his colour scheme being purple, and he's, like, his bright purple suit. Mm-hmm. That pimp's so ha- cool. Yeah, but then, like, they just keep adding, and, like, the more crap you bolt onto it, the less visually, it's, like, it's less, they don't cut as, like, distinct a silhouette. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, like, yeah. saw, like, a character in, if you saw... Paul Phoenix in like his biker outfit with the eraser head in silhouette. You'd know that's Paul Phoenix because of the hair. Mm-hmm. But with his latest design, would you know that character from silhouette? Probably would you know not. that's Paul Phoenix? No. And especially the fact that his most distinguishable feature is his hair and it got taken away from him. Yeah. And it's like, I think that's Which... the second time they've done that with Paul, right? And it's like, yep. it's just, no, keep that stupid haircut. It looks stupid, but it looks like Paul. Yeah. And I've always loved as well that like they have an entire arc about that where like Paul lets his hair down when he becomes oh, like compl- yeah. after Tekken three where he, Tekken three Paul beats Ogre he beats Ogre that's like he wins mm-hmm. and he gets pissed off because like True Ogre turned up and Jin beat it and he's like no but I beat Ogre I'm the best I don't need to prove anything so he lets his, he literally lets his hair down mm-hmm. and at the end of Tekken four he just sees a picture of himself on the wall of like Law's <laughs> dojo with his like biker hair and he realizes. I'm like, I've given up my quest to become the strongest in the universe. So he just puts his hair back up and gets his bike out of storage. He's like, oh, <laughs> oh, done it again. I'm He's lost. let his hair down again. He's had the same character arc twice. He's lost his mojo yet again. That's um, what he's distinct, but you look at his design now, the silhouette. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just too messy. And I don't like it. And yeah, we'll get into a couple more just aspects of his um, biography here. And it's like, Oh, origin, he's from Japan. His height is um, 5 foot 11, and then in Tekken 8, he's just grown an inch and become 6 foot. Like, he's done the Tinder tech. Of just he's just updated <laughs> his Tinder. He, was, six foot, he, six he wasn't getting enough date, so he just put the extra inch on. And um, his weight is 75 kilos until Tekken 8, where he's 87 kilos. He is buffed so he up. It's, the thing is, though, you've got to pack on some pounds when your main antagonist is a fucking bear. <laughs> um, his likes are his mother, his mother's teachings, uh, Ling Zhaoyu, Harang, his grandfather, and flames. <laughs> the design, yeah, his, his outfits yes. have always had like elements of flame in there. And I love as well that he has that friend... One of the things as well I don't like about Jin, he's that, he's that archetype that I fucking hate in like media, which is unemotional which i know is a thing in japan of like they see unemotional as being cool 
like Joe at Carmen collected, but when mm. you, he doesn't translate that well over here, yeah. he just makes them come across as like just standoffish and assholey. It's the the Final Fantasy problem, isn't it? Of like yeah. Cloud and um, Squall, of both of them, like in Japanese, come across as like these cool, sarcastic, like you know, kind of unobtainable goals as characters, <laughs> and then but, over here it translates like they're a bit of a dick, yeah, a bit of a standoffish dickhead. Yeah. And that's the problem as well. And like the whole thing of him being like absolutely refusing to smile or in and he's just always like, hmm. Like to the point where one of his like in Tekken Tag 2, every person you team up with is walks away. He's like, hmm. And it's like, I get it's cool in a way, well, but he just comes up like after, after five straight games of like, oh, don't isn't he so cool because he doesn't care? And it's like, not really now. Mm. I don't find it that endearing. Yeah, and especially when you got Kazia right there, who's like he he doubles down on it, and he's like so much more of an asshole. But at least he knows he's an asshole. <laughs> so at least he's like he's charismatic. I think Jin doesn't have charisma. He's got no. Real he has no charisma as a character. He's got no riz. He doesn't. Um, and yeah, I just also want to point out. I apologize about pronunciations. Uh, you know, the game doesn't pronounce a, his name a, right a, half the time. It's a fucking like global. Based game with people from like all countries and aspects. Like, yeah, I'm not going to say all the names correctly. I apologize. I'm trying my best, but um, his dislikes are deception. Okay, cool. <laughs> all he does yeah. is lie. <laughs> his father, his grandfather, the devil gene. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Um, and then he also dislikes Ogre, his devil form, Azazel, and just the Mishima bloodline in general. And I will one thing I do always like about Jin is that he knows because he was introduced because they killed off a bunch of characters. A bunch of characters disappeared between the events of Tekken Two and Tekken Three, and he was right, supposed yeah. to be the bridge between Jun and Kazuya because mm-hmm. he's the son of both. So he combined their fighting styles into one. And I actually don't like what they did with him in later games because he no longer really does too much Kazama-style karate. Even though that's he does kind like, of what his purpose he's... was, but then they brought back Kazuya, so you want to edge Jin away from just having the same moveset. And now he does like his own unique blend of it. And it makes more sense now Jun's back, so obviously Jun now has Kazama-style. But the idea that he loves his mum so much, but then every game gave him less moves from his mum's fighting style, even <laughs> though his mum's fighting style in-game is shown as being the only thing that can stand up to like the, the shit that Kaz in the world like Kazuya's the Mishima-style karate is the strongest karate in the world, right. except for Kazama-style karate, but it's too... No one knows how to do it, because the one person who was a master fucking died, or thought they died, and now they're back. And yeah, and I always hated that. It's wild to me that, um, as you mentioned, like a lot of it takes place within the same year. Like it says, his age when he met Heihachi was fifteen. Then in Tekken yep. three, he's nineteen. Yep. Tekken four Tekken, to Tekken, Tekken seven, seven he's, he's twenty one, and then he's twenty two so, in Tekken eight. So Joanna said, like all three games take place. Like three of the there's three Iron Fist tournaments in the space of one year. Well, that'd be four, right? Because four, five, six, and seven. Yep. So four, there's, well, there's four yeah, tournaments sorry. in the place of one year. Yep. That's and in the space And in the space of that as well, there's also like like four multinational corporations wage world wars. <laughs> um, and then just a couple of things I like here, like his hobbies, is just forest bathing and walks in the forest. He just likes to be in the forest. Because they remind me of his mum. Yeah, because his mum has like a deep connection with nature. And that's the thing as well, like... 
Jin as a character, the fact that he loves his mum, but then he acts like such a dick and he runs a multinational corporation when his mum's whole thing is respect nature. <laughs> All she cares about is protecting nature and Jin's character arc is he's just gotten worse as the games have gone on. Yeah, He's just become like, like I said, he's a billionaire CEO running a world war. And it's like, your mum wouldn't like this. No, but as they say, Carl, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It does indeed. He has yes. some fucking power indeed. But um, it does. it's all about Electric Wing Godfist and Three Ring Circus. <laughs> and the fact I know the names of all of his moves as well, because obviously, if you want to play against Jin, you got to know how to play him. Because mm-hmm. I know how to play Jin. I'm a really good Jin, but I only learned to play him so I can fucking counter the shit he does. Yeah, it's so powerful. Everyone online fucking plays Jin. Three Ring, he makes Three Ring Circus, which is where he does his back fist and the low kick, because right. it's um, a medium and a low, and it's built in. <laughs> and it's pretty much it's almost unpunishable online and it's so strong and it sets up into a comp it's I hate it <laughs> well moving on from that we won't get too much into the uh, the, the store competitive side of it because like you know it's more <laughs> if we could get into that it's like I love that's it I love Tekken we could I would much rather talk about any other character I know you would I know you would but I know that like for a lot of people going into Tekken 8 it's like, who the fuck is this Jin guy? Because he's the main protagonist. He's of, on like, the box, the yeah. The series, yeah. Except for like one of the games where he was a he was the antagonist, which I thought was a nice twist. Mm-hmm. They make him the antagonist because he's evil. Is that then where they, they introduce th- Lars and he's the good yeah, guy? Yeah, and that was the problem of the person they introduced as the protagonist was Lars, and he's even worse. And he's just so lame. He's so lame. Oh. Uh. And yeah, just a little bit of his biography here. Um, Tell me a little bit, yeah. Jin Kazama is the son of Jun Kazama and Kazuya Mishima. Uh, mm-hmm. During Jun's pregnancy, part of Kazuya's devil, which fled Kazuya when he was thrown into the volcano by his father, you just see like Heihachi throw him in and the devil's like, I'm out, I'm out. Just yep. fucks off. Um, I like the idea as well. <laughs> just, it was never actually said how they fell in love. And for years it was suggested and like that Kazia may have sexually assaulted Jun. Mm-hmm. And that because that she disappeared after the second game, so did did Kazia kill Jun? And they've never actually explained what went on with those two. I wonder whether they don't seem like here. a good match. Um Yeah. Um so the devil uh, attempted to possess Jin, who inherited his father's devil gene. Jun managed to fight the devil off and hold it at bay throughout her pregnancy and Jun's childhood. Jun raised Jin in a remote location in the mountains of uh, Yakushima and trained mm-hmm. him in the Kazuma family's self-defense fighting style. And, there, and that's why Jun's the fucking best. She fist fought the devil <laughs> for nine months straight while pregnant. And throughout his entire childhood as well. Yeah. That's the thing. They have like flashbacks in some of the games and stuff like while he was a kid, John was just fist fighting the devil every other week. <laughs> but not again. Oh, and then when Jin was fifteen years old, Jun sensed the approach of great evil. Preparing for the worst, she informed Jin of his origins and told him that if anything should happen to her, he was to seek out his grandfather. Spoilers bad fucking idea that was like I don't understand why Jun said that yeah. like go seek out the most evil man on the planet instead of anyone related to her because she's got relatives she right. has relatives like Asuka Kazama is like Jin's cousin which oh, means okay. like you know Jun must have had a sister or a brother why not seek out them 
<laughs> Why not go to like your nice family? Maybe they're not a billionaire like Heihachi, but they're not evil. <laughs> they're not gonna like make you start World War Three by the age of twenty-one. I just guess that it must be the thing of like if it was only one other person on earth who hates the devil gene as much as me. <laughs> and he's Heihachi. <laughs> and he's the only person who could probably beat the devil in a fist that fight, which true. he almost does in Tekken 7. Uh, and Jun's uh, premonitions soon proved to be correct as she and Jin were attacked by Ogre. Jin was knocked unconscious and woke up to find his surroundings burned to the ground and his mother gone. So yeah, presumed that Ogre would have just killed Jun. Dead. Presumed dead for 20 straight years until Tekken 8 where she just rocks up again looking better than ever. It's like, oh, no, I got... Like, Lucas, I, ho- I thought you died. No, I got better. <laughs> it's like, does... Has Tekken 8 confirmed yet? Like, the game's now, yeah, but has it said in her trailer or anything, like, whether she's been she, revived she, or something? She's alive. We don't know. We don't know the full story, but she's alive. Right. So it might tell us in-game, but, like, yeah, we, we don't know at the moment yeah. um, whether she actually died or whether she just had enough of fist fighting the devil and fucked off. She might have been, like, unknown for a little bit, but unknown's in Tekken Tag 2, which, according to the series creator, it's all the Tekken Tag games are a fantasy from Ganryu. From Ganryu specifically, okay. Yeah, like, he, okay. he was writing, like, a fan fiction about Tekken. <laughs> that's, that's a real thing. Oh. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a ton. A ton of different games with, like, stories of, like, all the different... Um, ones through the game so is there like anything specific that you want to cover or should we just go to like some other trivia just go to Tekken 8 because that'll be the overview of like what he's doing okay like what, cause that'll give you the profile of what happens so it's just basically Jin Heihachi and Kazuya just fight for fight like not f- our time five straight games but in game like two years mm-hmm. and destroy the world in an attempt to rid it of the devil gene at this point what would the devil really do that's worse than what Heihachi did <laughs> yeah like if you think like ogre do you know they talk about the ancient ogre mm-hmm. and like evil I remember when we did the king video and I double checked ancient ogre killed three people and like and the one of them came of back. The line has destroyed the world, yeah, basically. Yeah, like, Jin's as Jin, personally, <laughs> like, you know, through commanding his armies, has killed more people than Ogre, Ancient Ogre, and the Devil have all combined. Like, he's killed more people than the thing he's trying to stop. Yeah. But, Carl, it, you know, it'll all be worth it in the end. All of those deaths, they will have had meaning. It can rule over the ashes, let's go. Oh, so, um... The official website profile for Tekken 8, mm-hmm. despising the cursed blood that ran through his veins, Jin Kazama sought to bring an end to the evil bloodline. Sorry, to the devil bloodline. That's a very... It may as well be the same thing, but very different. Yeah. Um, he joined forces with Lars Alexanderson. And oh, together, that's going to so, be so late. Yeah. And together they prepared to commence Operation Lightning... A plan to eliminate the other bearer of the devil gene, Kazuya Mishima. Jin has once plunged in the world into chaos in order to resurrect Azazel, the devil gene's progenitor. Yeah, so that's the thing, like, so the reason I talk about Jin starting World War 3 is he brought back this ancient evil called Azazel in, like, Tekken 5. And that's why Lars tries to kill him, because mm-hmm. he tries to bring back the progenitor of the devil gene to kill it, inadvertently starting World War 3. <laughs> but it's okay, because Jin feels really bad about it. And that's why I said he's killed more people than the thing he's trying to stop. 
yeah, it said um, his plan was to permanently extinguish the Devil Gene by defeating Azazel once and for all, even yep. if it cost him his own life. He did manage to defeat Azazel, but he lost consciousness and fell into a deep sleep. And it wasn't that deep a sleep because he's right back to it. It's like, yeah, during his absence, G Corporation, led by Kazia, took over the world by force. Several months later, Jin finally regained consciousness. Um, his deadly struggle with Azazel had, of course, taught him control over his inner devil power. Yep. Jin then swore to end Kazia's reign of terror in order to atone for the war and destruction he had caused. That's the thing he caused. Yeah. That is direct confirm in the game. He caused all, and that's why it's like the more they try and frame him as a protagonist, the more I get annoyed by it. Of like, he caused World War Three. <laughs> He's killed millions of people. Yes, but it's like, but don't worry, he felt real bad for it. He's gonna right his wrongs, Carl. What's that thing they see? Is it, is it like that screenshot from uh, that screen cap from the manga? of like Naruto where that guy it shows you all the evil things that he did and it just shows him apologizing saying yeah my bad it's like we were um, discussing the show Echo the other day and like just in general um, the Ronin character of like yeah do you remember when like Hawkeye spent five years as a murderer and then just took his mask off and went oh I'm really sorry guys yeah and everyone was like, like just cool with it <laughs> And that's the problem. Like, he's killed so many people. It's like he, and that's the problem. Like from Tekken three, fine. Like you know, you mm -hmm. reset in the timeline, new character. He looks exactly the same as Kazuya, but he's his son, whatever. Tekken four, okay, he's starting to like become evil, edgy. He's got the devil gene. Fine, Kazuya did that. Tekken five, oh, he released the ancient evil that's going to destroy the world. Oh, Tekken six, oh, he's now he's the CEO <laughs> of a company. Tekken seven, and it's like. That's the real question, isn't it? Is what was the most evil action that he did? Like, bringing the devil back from hell to, like, try and fight it and cause a war? Or just be a billionaire CEO? Both. Which is both more at the same inhumane time. and horrible. So I, I hope the story of Tekken 8 is Jun just comes in and slaps his shit for four hours straight. <laughs> I, to be fair to him, though, his first response can be, why the fuck did you send me to Heihachi of all people? <laughs> I just want Jun to come in and do three ring circus over and over again. <laughs> How do you like it? She just starts doing her own electric wind god fist. <laughs> she, she learned a new form. <laughs> uh, so we'll just move on to a couple of pieces of trivia for the character okay. of Jin. Um, while the character Jin was being created, the staff really emphasised that they wanted a misfortunate character for their future games. As if, like, Kazuya as a child getting thrown into a volcano wasn't misfortunate enough. That's the thing, is I get it. And someone's going out there like, I really like Jin. It's like, fine, I just... Hopefully I've explained it for, like, just... I'd, it would be fine for one game. Mm -hmm. Two games. But, like, it's such an interesting, rich universe, I don't get why they keep focusing on one character specifically. Yeah. And it's like, there's such an interesting cool roster in the Tekken verse and it's just hey as you mentioned earlier it, it revolves around like one or three characters I suppose of like it's the Star Wars really problem, like yeah. the Mishimas and it's like well I did no. but not really anymore no it's like how about we introduce more fake Mishimas and it's like I guess it's like, do you really like Jin and the Devil G and it's like no stop stop like tell me more about Harang come on 
it's like I say, it's the Star Wars problem of everything revolves around three people. Mm-hmm. So, like, as deep as the universe tries to be, I know that, like, whenever they introduce a new character in that game, it's like, how do they know Heihachi? Yeah. It's like, like when are they going to be, like, Jin's best friend from school? That we've never heard like, of. Like, how do they connect back to Jin? Even the new character that is supposedly, like, another one of Heihachi's kids or whatever it is, um, or people theorizing they are, it's like, that character looks really cool, but you know what the least interesting part about them is? Like, the potential their connection to, to their the connection to the Mishima bloodline. So <laughs> like they could have just been anybody out of the time. It's like, oh, this cool character, Rainer, designed by, like, you know, the Bayonetta designer. Hmm. That's awesome. This character looks great. They find himself looks interesting. It's Heihachi's illegitimate child. We've already got five of those! <laughs> There's five of those in the game! Already! Oh, dear. And um, let me just look look through here a little bit. Yeah, it said uh, obviously Jin was designed to be a character with determination, but at release he became more of a character with a rather dark side, so, edgy yeah. side. Yeah, edgy. The edge being brought in. You know, it'd been a way cooler twist. Is if like he started to embrace like his mother's angel side. Yes. That would have been a way like, cooler twist. At least it'd been af- interesting. After Tekken 5, that's the way that you could have taken it. Like, you know, he's defeated as Azel, and now he's like, to take down Kazuya, he's embracing the Jun side of his family. Yeah, like he starts getting Unknown's powers. Mm-hmm. Um, during the events of Tekken 3, Jin has a schoolboy uniform. This, with his age of 19 years old, should make him a senior at the mission at Polytechnical School, while Ling Zhao Yu at 16 should be a junior. And it says, uh, since Jin is quite old to be at school and likely did not attend school while he lived in the mountain wilds of Yakushima with his mother until mm-hmm. the age of 15, it's possible that he was put back a year or two in school. It's like, fair play to him for jumping into, like, seniorship of high school. He, he was think- just raised in the mountains fighting a devil the entire life. Do you think as well where they were putting, like, what's your educational background? He's put karate. <laughs> It's like fighting the devil. Karate, karate, karate. What's your blood type? Karate. <laughs> and then it is known that he also did not finish school, as he left his studies in order to train more intensely under Heihachi in order to prepare to face Ogre. And still became a CEO. The meritocracy is a fucking myth. <laughs> Nepo baby. He's the ultimate Nepo baby. <laughs> oh dear. Um, the flame pan, the the flame on Jin's pants has been four different colors, red um, in mm-hmm. Tekken three and TTT Tekken Tag Tournament, uh, Tekken five DR TK seven teal, uh, white and blue. And it's like the color of his gauntlets matching the flame in each of his appearances, and I don't really like that because I think. It's one of those, maybe for optional colours, like, you could yeah. have differences, but... His colour scheme to me is always black and white. In terms of character design, it makes way more sense for him to have, like, one specific colour scheme. Yeah, and that's the thing as well, like, his design has never been consistent either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you think a main character should have a consistent design, but he hasn't. He hasn't had a consistent design. He's had a classic outfit, but he's never had a consistent design. Like, Kazuya has always rocked that purple suit. Mm-hmm. He's never took that shit off. Heihachi has always had the tiger on the back of his gi. Like, yeah. the tiger theming with his gi. Like, All King has always nappy. worn some variation of, like, a wrestling outfit with that jaguar mask. Paul's always had, like, the dirty gi 
with the eraser head hair, except for a couple of appearances. Law has always had like his chef's outfit. Mm. It's, it's just why it really upsets me that like they swing so wildly with character redesigns all of the time, and it almost never pays off when it comes to Tekken. Yep, the only character that really works for his characters like King. Well, yeah. He's a wrestler, so of course he's gonna like you know he's gonna update his design for the, the ring. That's literally what wrestlers do; they update their gimmicks all the time. Yeah. Or Yoshimitsu, where like, they always just go so fucking wild either way. Where it's been established that Yoshimitsu has never had the same design. Yeah, I I, I like that because Yoshimitsu's design is that he doesn't have a design. Yes. Whereas like, everyone else, like you can do that with one character. That works with one person, but you don't do that with the entire roster. Oh, like Nina always has like a battle suit, but because she's like a femme fatale, she always has elements of the femme fatale. Like in the last game, she had the bride outfit from Kill Bill. Or Anna, oh, right, being a okay. fashionista, always has like a cool ass dress. Mm-hmm. Or Harang, he always wears his gi, but then because he's a biker, he has like elements of his. But then so he became like just an emperor for some reason. And I really wouldn't mind it if those were the optional outfits, but the canonical ones stayed the same. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh... Just to finish up here, Harada, the creator of Tekken, if people don't know, uh, Harada stated that unlike Heihachi and Kazuya, who had gourmet tastes of food, Jin was never food educated by his mother, so has no taste. Jin apparently said his mother's cooking was so bad, he used to kill the ingredients twice over. See, I actually kind of like that, because it would be such like a tropey thing to make his mother, oh, the caring Jun Kazama, she was a great cook. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, all she cared about was fighting, so she was a shit cook. I actually she like the idea that Jun's a shit cook. That's actually kind of, like, endearing, because it's not what you'd expect. You'd expect, oh, it's his mother. Oh, I love my mother's cooking. Oh, she's shit. All she did was karate. <laughs> she's really good at killing things, including food. I actually uh, kind of like that, I think, because it's so unexpected. You'd expect, to, like, obviously, the motherly caring role. Of course, mm-hmm. she's good at all of, like, you know, the, um, uh, like, just... What the, ta- the um, domestic tasks? It's like yeah. you know, she's terrible at it. I bet she's messy as well. But no. it's like, I bet she's got a cupboard full of carrier bags and everything. She just fucking lives in the mountains fighting a devil. She ain't got time to learn cooking skills. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that was a brief overview of Jin the character. A very we could we could have talked about Yoshimitsu. We could like, like, I would have loved to talk about Yoshimitsu. <laughs> Lucas, his nickname is I, the Mecha Space Ninja. This is why I wanted to quantify why I'm talking about Jin is because like. For the release of Tekken 8, and, like, Jin is the protagonist of the series, and, like, it makes a lot more sense to talk about the protagonist so people can get a bit of an overview to jump into Tekken 8 to kind of, like, understand maybe a little bit about Jin and who they are, but... The one for me is always, like, if anyone says that Jin's their favourite character, I always just go, do you also like Vanilla... Ice cream. <laughs> no, With... they like dark, edgy ice cream girl. It's the thing. It's like, uh, it's like you know, he's the protagonist. Like he's designed to be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's but just, I just feel it's like a bit such too an... try hard for all like it. It's like with such an eclectic cast of characters, especially when as well, not like mechanically, he's so similar to Kazuya. Who I said like he leans into being an asshole. Mm-hmm. And Heihachi, who's just like old man who headbutts like people. Yeah, I think that's the thing to me is that he's just. After Tekken 3, it's like he just gets worse and worse as Kazuya and Heihachi get at least at least stay the same, if not get better. And it's just like, he's a worse Kazuya in my eyes. Yeah. 
and just yeah a lot of those elements just don't work for me but i guess let us know in the comments like who your favorite non-gin character in tekken is like my, my first like there's a couple like lee chow lot who is like technically a mishima but he gets he basically he's like kazia's stepbrother who oh, only okay. got adopted by Heihachi purely to give Kazuya a rival. <laughs> so he adopted a child and then just made them fight. Oh, and God. as a result, Lee Chow Lan's like a proper arsehole. And he's like, leans, he's like a JoJo character because he just leans like into pure mm. style. He is very, very stylish. And he's, he's just, he's absolutely just pure swag. Like that's, so, I've mentioned before that I really like Harang and just there's so many cool characters from like the new one as well Tekken 8 like well it seems as though they've done a really good job with the few characters that they have introduced into this one yeah the game's got so many interesting fun characters and like from Mm -hmm. a gameplay perspective my favorite is always going to be like Yoshimitsu because Mm -hmm. he's so weird yeah he's so and I've always loved his voice at the soy like he's he's so good he has the same voice lines in every game and like Indian stance that you can fly around and like the sword yeah and the yeah. fact that, like, you know, he's got the rivalry with Brian Fury. People love Brian Fury. He's just a robot. He's just robot man. Wait, Brian Fury is a robot as well? Yeah, he lost his arm. Like, his backstory. That's it. How much more interesting is that? He's a... He lost his arm, and then he makes Dr. Boskanovich give him a new one. Yeah. And that's why Yoshimitsu fucking hates Brian. Because basically, Brian came in and kicked the shit out of Dr. Boskanovich, who saved Yoshimitsu's life. Oh, uh, okay. So Yoshimitsu's like... Why did you give an ar- a robot arm to a criminal? And he's like, well, he's starting to kill me. He's like, I must get him. And then, yeah, I just thought he was like some psycho dude. He is. Yeah. And he make he makes Dr. Boskanovich give him like a robot arm and a heart. Oh, So okay. he's a cyborg. Yeah. And then you have like the Jack, the Jack line. Yeah, that's really like, cool. Jack one through like eight. And like where Jack is like a robot that's gaining sentience. And, all, and the Joe, have you seen Tekken 2? Jack's story is there's a little girl on a battlefield who Jack right. saves. And that little girl say, like becomes like a researcher for um, uh, the G Corporation purely because she's trying to find the bug in the code that made that Jack go haywire. Oh, and made okay. it break its programming. So her goal is to try and find like whatever it was in the code for Jack that made it have that spark of sentience. To and that's why she save keeps him, yeah. Yeah, and that's why she keeps improving the Jack model. And every time she uh, makes a new one, she's trying to find like where is the spark of humanity that was in that original Jack that I saw that saved my life. And that's such an interesting backstory, and it's never talked about in the main game. Oh, is it not? No, it's only in like the uh, if you do Jack's storylines, which aren't canon. Oh, I see what you mean. I thought you meant like it was never mentioned in game kind of thing. No, it I was like, what? is, but oh, not in the mainline game, not yes, in like the yeah. main story. But isn't that a fascinating concept? And so many of the Tekken characters have really cool stories and backstories and, you know, endings and things that just get glossed over because Jin's got to fight Kazuya again. So never forget that Paul's stated goal is to be the strongest in the universe. And he means that literally, because in one of his endings, <laughs> there's an alien invasion, and the government calls Paul uh, to fight the aliens. Because then he says, I can now finally say I'm the strongest in the universe, because I've beaten aliens. That's the thing. He's the one who defeated Ogre. He beat Ogre, but he didn't beat true Ogre. No, no, no. Because Jin turned up afterwards and killed it, and yeah. Paul's Just super salty about it. it. into the sky. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Here's the three-ring circus. Over and over. That is the scariest move. I'll never stop. 
But yeah, it's it's one of those things of yeah, I, I thought it would be a good character to try and introduce people into Tekken 8 because it's just coming out. But we can talk about more fun and more interesting Tekken characters in the future. There's so many more. Every character, every character at Set Gin. The only character who's not as interesting is Lars because Lars <laughs> was literally invented to be Jin but cooler. Mm-hmm. Which makes him less cool inherently. Yeah. It's that thing about the cooler you try to make the characters. That's the thing. It's why Law and Paul are so cool because they're so lame. Mm-hmm. But yeah. We'll um, get on to what wiki you have brought us in a moment, but I do just need to take a quick break. No problem. Back in a sec. Thank you for just taking a quick break with us there. And Carl, we of course just have to do a little bit of quick housekeeping as usual, just before we get into your wiki. And I guess like, you know, to start with, I will just promote my Twitch page as usual. It's Legend of Kanto. Um, You know, I normally stream Monday, Tuesday and Thursday most weeks, uh, apart from this week where I'm off for my birthday. But um, yeah, I'd go live 10pm UK time, doing Mass Effect on Mondays, Zelda game on Tuesdays, Pokemon game on Thursdays. But Hell, goddamn yes. Carl, speaking of birthdays, you've got a birthday stream that you're going to be doing coming up, right? Yes, so that'll be next week from the day this is recorded and goes live, so February so, 2nd. Yeah, so it'll be like a, just over a week from when this podcast goes live. Mm-hmm. It'll be uh, February 2nd, um, uh, 8pm, around then, going live for my birthday, getting a few drinks in. Lucas may make an appearance, Brad Nisha may make an appearance, just like be on camera. And I think we're going out the next day. So it's like, isn't it a bit <laughs> sad to be alone on your birthday? It's like, well, it's a Friday and no one wants to go out on a Friday. Not when you're in your 30s anyway. So I'll be going for a quiet drink with friends the day after and all throughout the week I'm seeing people. I'm going home to see my mum on like the Thursday. I'm seeing my dad on the Tuesday for a meal. I'm meeting a friend on a Wednesday. It's like my week is very full. It'd be nice to sit down, play a video game, have a beer. Yeah, and you know, you can accompany Carl on his birthday and maybe even give him like a little nice birthday sub or something like that. Just as a, a little welcome to the age of 33. Three. Yeah. And um, yeah, that'll just be over at twitch.tv slash Carlswood. Yeah, going right back into the actual podcast here, Carl. Yes. What wiki have you brought for us this week? Well, I've similarly picked a character who's the main character of a series who the more you watch it and the longer it goes on, the more of an arsehole you realise that they are. And they are a British institution and there has been a lot of speculation over who's going to play this character next in recent months. With those things, Lucas, can you guess who we're talking about? Are we talking about James Bond? We're talking about James Bond. Yeah. So specifically James Bond, the literary character, because the movie canon is a little messed up, but the literary mm-hmm. canon is more defined. Right, yeah. And it's a bit all over the place with, like, obviously all the different actor changes and stuff, and then mm-hmm. they've, like, for example, I think Casino Royale's been made twice into a movie now and stuff yep. like that, yeah. And the fact they've never done the fan theory people have had for literally decades now of make James Bond a codename. Mm-hmm. Because canonically, every James Bond movie is the same James Bond. It's like, it can't be though. Yeah. And like the newest ones are like with Daniel Craig, they're like soft reboots, but still mm-hmm. they're technically the same story. It's like, there's two options. Make it Mad Max, where Mad Max is this weird like mythology, like, sorry, not 
Mad Max is like a mythology where the character mm. of Mad Max does exist, but the character in the movies might not be the Mad Max. Mad Max is like a wasteland folk tale. Mm-hmm. And that's why like people like people don't know that about Mad Max. Because when you say that, like, no, it's not. And he goes, no, it is. That's what, like, um, uh, oh, God, I forget the names. Guys, that. George? It's his name? something. It's, who did Mad Luke? I'll, I'll look it up Double check. Try to remember. You keep going. You keep going. But anyway, Mad Max, the films, uh, like they're basically folk tales that people tell. So I think of like Mad Max as like Bigfoot, where people tell stories over a fire of like that time Mad Max did this. It would be George Miller. George Miller. And that's what George Miller has said of like Mad Max isn't like he's a character in the films, but the stories are like imagine they're like you no know, being told over a campfire. Because mm-hmm. they always end with, and then Mad Max walks away to another adventure, and no one knows who it is. Like these are just a bunch of like, in, like these are a bunch of like loosely connected things that happen in the wasteland that may or may not have happened, and may or may not be about the same guy. Which is why like, Mad Max can change from being like you know Mel Gibson to Tom Hardy. Yeah, it's just oh, like there is a a tale about this dude in the wilderness that did something incredible. And we assume that it's all Mad Max, or we attribute it all to Mad Max, but it mm-hmm. could just be a bunch of different people. Yeah, and similarly, like, James Bond could be that of, these are all, like, legendary tales about this supposed famed spy that we don't know if they're accurate or not, or they could be exaggerated, it could be the same guy, it could not be, or make James Bond a code name that when James Bond retires, a new James Bond, a new 007 comes in. Yeah, because that's the thing, all you need to say is that 007 is a rank that gets passed on from agent to agent and the alias that they go by is James Bond. James Bond. And the fact they've never... And even and it makes so much sense, right? Mm-hmm. And there's been a bunch of stuff of, like, fan theories where they... Like, for example, in um, one of the James Bond movies, James Bond gets married. Right. Okay. But then they say that his wife died and then in the next film, it's a new actor. And he's like, oh, so that James Bond retired out of grief. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, it's still the same guy. And he's sleeping with women again. It's like, and okay, so, the, could, which makes the, way less sense. Like, the canon that the movies establish makes less sense than the fan theory. Yeah, and the fact that the movies have been going since, what, like, the 60s? The 60s, so, like, so J- James Bond should be 70? Yeah, James Bond has been an active agent, like, thwarting people since the 60s and is still ongoing. But then they also have, like, they replaced the actor for M, and M is a code name. Yes, yeah, and Q. And Q, they're, yeah. they're code names, but James Bond, and it's like, just make it a code name. But I think it's the <laughs> thing of, they don't want to do that because, remember last week we talked about the Wachowskis? Not wanting to confirm. Mm. I feel like if they confirm it, they don't want to do that because it makes too much sense. And they'd have it's... to admit that they ripped it off of, like, you know, fan theories instead of it being their idea. Yeah. And it's and... just, it can be an adaptation. It doesn't need to be that... Well, James Bond in the book is the same guy, so this one is. But just that's always baffled me how they've never said that. Either, like, mm-hmm. you know, these are tall tales about an agent that, you know, you just say, we attribute it to James Bond. Who's James Bond? We don't know. Because it's like secret government agency. Mm-hmm. Now, these could have been like the actions of like 15 different men, but we credit it to James Bond. Do you know, like when directors don't want to direct a movie, they say Alan Smithy? Because they don't oh, want I, them. I wasn't to... aware of that, but yeah. It's the thing in movies, if you don't want to. A thing that you can do is if you don't want your name attached to a project in Hollywood, you can just credit it to Alan Smithy. And it's a pseudonym directors use when they're embarrassed or they don't think their name, the, the work they did is enough. Like, say, if there was, like, multiple directors or what have you. 
Mm-hmm. Make it a similar thing like James Bond. It's just like, you know, a name that they attribute to secret undercover agents. Well, like, yeah, that's the thing. It makes perfect sense because it's MI5. It's like literally meant to be a secret and they don't want to let people know who that character is. And then you go to Skyfall and it turns out that James Bond is James Bond's real name. Yeah. It's like, so he's a spy, but he's spying and telling people his real name. That the la- like that must be the first rule, like Spy One Hundred One. Never tell people your real name. I mean, it's literally the first thing he says to everyone he meets. Anyway, Commander James Bond is a character created by British journalist and novelist Ian Fleming in nineteen fifty three. He is the main protagonist of the James Bond series of novels, films, games, and comic books. Fleming wrote 12 James Bond novels and two short story collections, the final two books being The Man with the Golden Gun, An Octopussy, and The Living Daylights, which were both pu- published posthumously. That's wild to me that it's a dozen 12 stories. Books. 12 books. 30 movies, 12 books. Short stories, though. Yeah, it's like this entire franchise is, you know, as they mentioned, like there's video games and stuff as well that are, mm-hmm. some of them are tie ins, some of them are just their own stories. And it's like, Agent on the Fire, baby. Similar to, so um, I, I was always like Agent Under Fire and Nightfire were my two. Nightfire were great, yeah. Um, but yeah, like the fact that it's similar to like Sherlock Holmes, where like there's not actually that many Sherlock Holmes stories. No, but they do lend themselves very well to adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's a one. But who for you then is James Bond? Because for me, I think Piers Brosnan is James Bond, and I always people they. There's a lot of criticism about James Bond, like Piers Brosnan and James Bond, because they say it was too goofy. So I like that. I like the goofiness mm-hmm. because they're more elevated. It's like this heightened version of reality where silly things happen, which makes the movies just like fun romps as opposed to like Daniel Craig Bond, where it's really, it's like, I don't really want to see James Bond getting his testicles annihilated by a thick piece of rope. For f- That's I- the weird part is because like, yeah, the... The Bourne trilogy slash quadrilogy. The Bourne trilogy was a really good adaptation of what like a modern James Bond movie could be. Mm-hmm. But then they just made James Bond that, and it's like, but that's not what James Bond is. It's about yeah. the the gadgets and the cars and all that jazz. The goofy gadgets, yeah, yeah. So about um, you, like, so you, who's your Bond? Because I always say it's Pierce Brosnan. That's the thing is, it's probably just Pierce Brosnan in the sense of like that's who my James Bond was growing up, but. To be honest, when someone says just James Bond right now, I just imagine Daniel Craig because he's the one that's the James Bond right now. I remember though, I had a conversation about this with um, uh, an old girlfriend of mine. So we were talking about like James Bond as this like British cultural institution because she was American, mm-hmm. and she like just said something quite poignant that I'd never considered from the perspective of a woman before. And it was like Piers Brosnan is the best Bond because he's the only one you look at and you can believe that he'd be able to sleep with all those women. That is true, yeah. Because, like, you know, people say Sean Connery Bond was really attractive. He was, but he was an arsehole. He was a misogynist. Mm. Like, Daniel Craig Bond is, like, but he's, like, a bit too rough. Whereas Piers Brosnan Bond, he has the swagger, the confidence, and just the... He's just so handsome. Like, you can believe that man could pull any woman he wanted to. Yeah, that that's the thing is, I think Daniel Craig physically has, like, the body for it like he's very attractive in that like swimsuit scene in the first in casino of course, like, yes. of course people saw that one shot and were like oh my god daniel craig but he but doesn't like, have the charm he doesn't have the riz he doesn't, he doesn't yeah he doesn't have that and, and like pierce brosnan bond does yeah. pierce brosnan bond is 
Like, you know, just the smooth-talking, like, um, secret agent. But speaking of which, the character is a secret service agent, codename 007, residing in London but active internationally. Bond was a composite character based on a number of commandos whom Fleming knew personally during his own service in the Naval Intelligence Division during the Second World War, whom Fleming added his own style and a number of his own tastes to, which includes things like him being of raging misogynist and racist, which we'll get to in a moment. Because remember, he wrote these books in the 50s. That is, like, really funny to me, though, of, like, even the actual character James Bond is based off multiple people. Mm -hmm. It's like when we were talking earlier about it being just a codename. James Bond is literally multiple people. He's a composite character. But his name is uh, said to have been taken from an American ornithologist of the same name called James Bond. And the stated reason why is, is Fleming thought it sounded like the most mundane, boring name possible. Which would be a great name for a spy. It's... It's unassuming enough where you're not going to think about it, but it's simple and short enough where you would remember it. You'd remember it as like a name of a character in a book, but if you met a person called James Bond in real life, you wouldn't think too much of it, thus allowing them to blend in. It's not an overly like spectacular or memorable name. It's only memorable because it's an iconic character. Yeah. Bond has a number of consistent character traits which run throughout the books and indeed all material in which he appears, including an enjoyment of cars, a love of food, drink and sex, and an average intake of 60 cigarettes per day. Jeez, That's how you know he's a character from the 50s as well. Lucas, Lucas, he's so cool because he smokes. 60 a day? Lucas isn't smoking cool. Isn't smoking the coolest thing? Isn't you know it so what they cool? Need to do? They need to make him a vapor in the new one. <laughs> that, that would be. Speaking of lame, that would be. The, if James Bond vexed. I remember where, like, for one of the Daniel Craig ones, um, they didn't. They got sponsored by Heineken. So James mm. Bond couldn't drink a martini. He does drink a clear cocktail, which is obviously meant to be a martini, but a rule they had with Heineken is they can't say the name of any other alcohol out loud. And mm. what crap me up is, <laughs> James Bond only drinks a Heineken in that movie when he's depressed. <laughs> and he's oh, like, man. that sums it up. When James Bond's depressed, he drinks Heineken, just like everybody else drinks Heineken. And I guess like the thing people will be shouting at us about is like, the fact that, yeah, um, a martini shaken, not stirred, doesn't make any no di- sense. It makes no difference. It's like, it'll make a cocktail, but it'll just make a worse version of a martini. And here's the thing as well, um, and this is just one of those fun behind-the-scenes facts that you'll know if you like know anything about mixing drinks. The cocktails that they show in the movies are stirred. Or if you wanted to get, sorry, they're not cocktails, but if you wanted to get a cocktail that they look in the movies, you'd have it stirred. Mm-hmm. Because if you shake a cocktail... Um, it will be cloudy mm-hmm. because of the bits of ice in there and the frost on the glass. If you want a crystal clear martini, it has to be stirred. And then people will order a martini shake and not stir. And, and it then... comes looking cloudy. <laughs> and, they and they'll off, say, well, yeah. it's cloudy. It's like, well, that's, that's what's shaking. And then someone will say, oh, you'll hear some people when they're making them say, it bruises the gin. That's not a thing. <laughs> All it does is it waters down the alcohol more because you break up the ice. A stirred martini will be crystal clear and stronger, which is realistically what James Bond is ordering because you always see him with a crystal clear martini, which you would only get if it was stirred. So yeah, fun little fight there for everyone that didn't know. But, but I, I just love that. would be yeah. saying it. 
Yeah. And I think as well in the books that he doesn't technically drink a martini. He drinks his own version of it, which we'll get to. So, characterization. Appearance. Facially, Bond resembles composer, singer, and actor Hoagie Carmichael. And I'll send you a picture of Hoagie Carmichael. Okay. I was going to say, Lucas, do you think this man could uh, bag Michelle Yeoh? <laughs> Not really, no. There we go. And that's why he's Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> he's a, you know, he's a pretty, like... Average-looking, skinny male. Like. But the thing is, though, back in the 50s, people thought that looked cool. Yeah, yeah. So, facially, Bond resembles Hoagie Carmichael. In Casino Royale, Vespa Lynn remarks that Bond rather reminds me of Hoagie Carmichael, but there is something cold and ruthless. Likewise, in Moonraker, Special Branch Officer Gala Brand thinks that Bond is certainly good-looking, rather like Hoagie Carmichael. Did Ian Fleming just really like this Hoagie guy? The thing is, you look at him, though, just Hoagie Carmichael looks like a news reporter. And the thing is, he's probably about 40 in that picture, but he looks 50 because he smokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's like, uh, the picture that you showed me, at least, he's just a very unassuming-looking guy. Yeah, but that was attractive back in the day. And then others, such as journalist Ben McIntyre, have identified aspects of Fleming's own looks in his description of Bond. Which is like, basically, James Bond is Ian Fleming's self-insert. Like, he it's basically like, wrote 12 pages of self-insert fan fiction about the coolest man with the biggest dick who looks exactly like him, who bags it, all the girls and saves the day. It was a bit like when we uh, discussed Reacher, wasn't it? Yep. Of like, oh yeah, I just so happened to be like this big six foot five dude that like everyone looks at just like Reacher is. So, got it. Like, thing is though, Reacher would kick the fuck out of James Bond. <laughs> in the novels, notably from Russia with Love, Bond's physical description has generally been quite consistent. A slim build with a scar on his right cheek, blue eyes and a cruel mouth, short black hair. He's described as being exactly six foot in height and about 76 kilos in weight. So yeah, not too far off an average man's build. Which that's the thing, is that yeah. the point of James Bond to be a spy is he should be unassuming. Mm-hmm. He needs to be so unassuming that he could blend in, but not so... It's like, a, there's a great David Mitchell quote about it, of like, a, the problem with spies is that they try to blend in too much, which makes them ironically stand out. Mm-hmm. It's like, in the, thing, in the example he uses, a grey suit and tie. Well, it's so nondescript and unassuming that it becomes noteworthy. It's so unnoteworthy that it becomes noteworthy. Yeah, and I think um, one of, like, my like, favourite just little moments of someone trying to, you know, go unnoticed is just, mm-hmm. like, that moment in um, Captain America Winter Soldier where Scarlett Johansson's like, kiss me, and he's like, what? She's mm-hmm. just like, people don't like looking at people are making out. Yep. It's just like, that's a way to blend in, is look like you're making, like, a standout scene that people don't want to look towards. I've always loved that idea, though, of, like, we need to blend in, just put a baseball cap on and pull it really fat out. That looks so much more suspicious. I've watched Hot Fuzz. What's mm. more suspicious than walking with a cap directly pulled down over your face? Because then you look like you have something to hide. Exactly. The easiest yeah. way to blend in would be to just walk normally. Yeah. Walk as if you belong. And, you know, it's even joked about in, like, that Captain America scene of, like, just putting a cap on and putting some glasses on doesn't make you not noticeable as, like, this Adonis man where, like, yeah. the Apple guy's like, oh, my God. Like, the easiest way to, like, hide your features, it's, like, you wear baggy clothes, baggy nondescript clothes, tousle your hair slightly, and just, like I said, wear a pair of glasses, something that, you know, softens your features. Mm-hmm. So the Superman tech. 
yeah, it's 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 one of those of I even used to make fun of it of like, well, there's no way people would know it's Clark Kent. It's like, well, just change your posture up a bit and put shit clothes on and some glasses and like, yeah, they probably like won't notice. Like Henry Cavill did that entire thing where he stood in Times Square in Times Square as Superman wearing a Superman T-shirt. No one fucking noticed. Ironically enough, the best way to be invisible is to wear a fluorescent jacket and carry a clipboard. Oh, yeah. 90% of people ignore you. Because that's one thing. I, there's some um, interviews with like people who are like not spies, but you know, like, um, like uh, we talked before about that show, The Real Hustle. Yes. Where yeah. it's like con men. And it's like one of the, e- or Banksy, for example, when he's asked, like, how do you sneak into places? Like, he says, well, ironically enough, you wear a high visibility vest. Mm-hmm. So you stand out, but you look like a workman, and no one's going to walk up and stop a workman or what they assume to be a workman. So, ironically yep. enough, the easiest way to blend in is to stand out, but stand out in a way that would make sense in the area you are. It's like, just, you know, grab a ladder, put a high-vis on, and just walk around like you mean, you're meant to yep. be there. But, you know, speaking of meaning to be like, personal life. Bond lives in a flat on King's Road in Chelsea. Continuation authors John Pearson and William Boyd both identify the location as Wellington Square. And we don't really give too much of a fuck about exactly where he lives, but much of Fleming's own daily routine while working at the Sunday Times was woven into the Bond stories. And he summarised it at the beginning of Moonraker, stating, Elastic office hours from around 10 to 6, lunch generally in the canteen, evening spent playing cards in the company of a few close friends or at Crockford's, or making love with rather cold passion. So he's not even good at sex. To one of the similarly disposed married women, weekends playing golf for high stakes at one of the clubs near London. And that's the thing. The fact it's just it's Ian Fleming's self-insert. Mm-hmm. Like, all he does is bang birds. Does he like it? No. Because <laughs> why would he care? He's a man. He's too cool to care about the sex he gets. Yeah. And we have uh, tastes and styles. Drinks. You know, perhaps one of them. But the first thing when you say James Bond, shaken, not stirred. So, biographer of Ian Fleming, Andrew Lysett, noted that within the first few pages of Casino Royale, Ian had introduced most of Bond's idiosyncrasies and trademarks, which included his looks, his Bentley, and his smoking and drinking habits. The full details of Bond's martini were kept secret until chapter 7 of the book, and Bond eventually names it the Vesper, after love interest Vesper Lynn. So, people say that this is one of those classic pub pub quiz questions of, what is Bond's signature drink? Which most people ask, a martini... Shaken, not stirred. That is not the case. His actual drink, his signature drink, the one he names himself, is the Vesper, which is made similarly to a um, uh, martini, but is distinct in the fact that it contains a separate ingredient. So, a dry martini, he said, one in a deep champagne goblet. Oui, monsieur. Just a moment. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of Kina Lillette. Shake it very well until it's ice cold and then add a large, thin slice of lemon peel. Got it? Certainly, Monsieur. Gosh, that's certainly a drink, said later. Bon laughed. When I'm uh, concentrating, he explained, I have never more than one drink before dinner, but I do like that one to be a large one, very strong and very cold and very well made. I hate small portions of anything, particularly when they taste bad. This drink is my own invention. I'm going to patent it when I think of a good name. So it's made similarly to a dry martini, but it's customised to Bond's own tastes. And that's the addition of Quine Lillette, which is a French liqueur, I believe, which is very difficult to get hold of nowadays. It's just not popular. Mm. And I presume it's just one of those things where that's a bit long and dry for the movies, so they just yeah. made it a martini, shaken, not stirred. Dry martini, shaken, not stirred, because, yeah, 
But that's one of those things like, so if anyone out there is in the pub quiz and they ask you, what is James Bond's drink of choice? It is a Vespa, which is made the same way as a dry martini, but it's in a separate glass and the addition of some Kina Lillette. So Bond's drinking habits run throughout the series of books. During the course of On Her Majesty's Secret Service alone, he consumes 46 drinks. And it, it is <laughs> While he's on mission! Of, like, the difference between um, writing a character now and writing a character, like, you know, 70-odd years ago. Yeah. Of, like, what was considered cool back then Just would definitely day not be considered cool now. Well, we want to make this cool, suave agent of a... Well, he's, um, he's a heavy drinker, a heavy smoker... A horrible misogynist, and he drives around in a really fucking expensive car. It's like, oh god, he's a horrible asshole. He's a bellend. He works in yeah. a bank. Got it. Regarding non-alcoholic drinks, Bond eschews tea, which is a fact that I did know when recording a fact feeding video, calling it mud and blaming it for the downfall of the British Empire. <laughs> so he's also a person who cares about the British Empire. But the idea that the most quintessential British character fucking hates tea, and this the detail that I love in the sense that it just it makes the character seem like such a prick is that when like a girl in the canteen gives Bond a cup of tea they offer him a cup of tea and he says no I don't drink tea it's like mud and they think well you're James Bond surely you know an upstanding British gentleman would like a cup of tea you know in that joking way of like they're surprised mm-hmm. that James Bond the quintessential British gent doesn't like tea he reams out a girl working in the canteen and yells at her in front of everybody for not knowing why he doesn't like tea. And the thing is, you know that Ian Fleming was writing that letter, it's touching his touch. Mm. Yeah, what likeable main character we've got here. Just (laughs) yelling at serving staff for offering him a cup of tea. Food. When in England and not on a mission, Bond dines as simply as Fleming did on dishes such as grilled sole and cold roast beef with potato salad. When on a mission, however, he eats more extravagantly, mostly to blend in. And again, I don't think you blend in by eating extravagant foods. Well, I guess if you go to like fancy places around the world, well, if you go depends, to like a fancy yeah. cafe or whatever. Depends where you're spying up. And then we have a smoking. Bond is a heavy smoker. At one point, smoking upwards of 70 cigarettes per day. Jesus Christ. Bond has his cigarettes custom-made by Moreland of Grosnell Street, mixing Balkan and Turkish tobacco and having a higher nicotine content than average. Imagine when he's like going on, um, you know, a spy mission. He's like, I think I'm going to be gone for the week. It's like, mate, can you hook me up with 500 custom cigarettes, please? And here we go. Fleming himself smokes 80 cigarettes per day. I told I, you, he's, he's just Fleming's self-insert. Yeah, when I think of, if someone had asked me, like, what would you consider a heavy smoker? I'd be like, 20, 20 a, day. a day. That's a packet. That's a packet yeah. of cigarettes. A 20-pack a day, that's pretty heavy smoker. It's like my mum and dad, my mum still smokes, but has now managed to cut down. She has five a day. My mum and dad, at their peak, would have one packet per day. So 20 a day habit. Mm-hmm. And I would say, like, they had... It's not an excuse, but they both had incredibly high-pressure jobs. Yeah, and obviously, you know, people smoke for a variety of reasons. But in my lifetime, at the very least, I've never noted a person as smoking 80 in a day. Yeah. It's, 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 it's baffling, but like drugs, he also occasionally supplements his alcohol consumption with other drugs, both for functional and recreational use, such as um, uh, amphetamines and... Oh, yeah, so it's amphetamines, using it to, for stimulation on missions uh, for help, like, you know, swimming across a cold lake or for re- remaining awake and alert when threatened. 
Can you imagine just in the modern movie, Daniel Craig just doing some meth on the side? Just, just like... that smoking crack. And then we have his cars. And what do you consider to be the quintessential James Bond car? Uh, the Aston Martin it's, DB5. The As- it's the Aston Martin, right? The DB5 I always think of first. And then... But, um, they say in the book so he drives a Bentley because he's a prick. But I think the Aston Martin's way cooler than a Bentley. Yeah, the classic Aston Martins are great. And I do like the Aston Martin DB9 for um, like the, the Brosnan era-ish, like... I think like his last movie or something had like yeah. the uh the it's just, a, it's, the it's just a cool car isn't it it's timeless i just think of like you know it's gotta be that aston martin like classic aston martin with like a fucking rocket stuck in the headlight or yeah. something like that but they say that in the books he almost exclusively drives bentley's mm-hmm. it's like and nah, that's man. obviously where you know we've clearly watched a lot of the films and not so much read the books yeah i did want one book for him to just drive a mini though that's a British yeah. car. Well, not now. Not anymore, but it, was at the time. Car, then, but it was at the time, yeah. Then we have attitudes. According to academic Jeremy Black, Bond is written as a complex character, even though he was also the voice of many of Fleming's own prejudices. As mentioned multiple times, he was just Fleming's self-insert. Of, like, it's the coolest guy in the world. Throughout the books, Bond expresses racist, sexist, and homophobic attitudes. The output of these prejudices combined with the tales of Bond's actions once led journalist Yuri Zukov to write an article in 1965 for the Soviet daily newspaper Pravda, describing Bond's values thusly. James Bond lives in a nightmarish world where laws are written at the point of a gun, where coercion and rape are considered valour and murder is a funny trick. Bond's job is to guard the interests of the property class. He is no better than the use Hitler boasted he will bring up like wild beasts to be able to kill without thinking. And that's the thing that James Bond ultimately maintains the status quo for the ruling capitalist class. Yeah, and I wasn't sure like how James Bond was read closest to the time of its creation, because obviously, like, in the Which 50s, it, yeah. like, racism and misogyny was a lot more commonly accepted, not that yeah, it's yeah. not, you know, prevalent nowadays anyway, but... And it's worth noting that that was a quote from someone writing for a Soviet Union-era newspaper. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's going to be a difference there. But, um, uh, it says here that um, Academic Black does not consider Bond to be the unthinking wild beast that Zukov writes about, however. In From Russia With Love, Bond watches Kerim Bey shoot the Bulgarian killer... Um, uh, Kurelenchu and Bond observes that he have never killed anyone in cold blood. Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. Maybe in the books it's different. Maybe, uh, but like, I do not think James Bond has never just killed a fucker. Yeah, in response to a reviewer's criticism of Bond as quite villainous, Fleming himself said in a 1964 Playboy interview he did not consider his character to be particularly good nor evil. Stating, I don't think that he is necessarily a good guy or a bad guy. Who is? He's got his vices and very few perceptible virtues, except for patriotism and courage, which are probably not virtues anyway. But I didn't intend for him to be a particularly likable person. A fun thing to say about your self-insert, but the idea that, yeah, James Bond's not supposed to be likable. He's a moral... Lucas, he's a morally grey character. But Carl, attractive man played him on camera. It's like, yep. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those interesting things to hear that he wasn't meant to be likable because everything you say about him comes across as like an asshole. And yeah, I guess someone whose inherent job is to kill people, be a weapon for the government, is probably not a good guy. 
Yeah. Fleming continued that he actually agreed with some critics' characterization of Bond as an unthinking killer, but expressed that he was more a product of his time, stating, James Bond is a healthy, violent, non-cerebral man in his middle 30s and a creature of his era. I wouldn't say he's particularly typical of our times, but he's certainly of the times. Mm-hmm. Which shows a remarkable amount of personal growth on behalf of Ian Fleming. That does, yeah. Like, I wrote him in the 50s. It's like he was meant to just be a relatively healthy average dude that wasn't really thinking about what he did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was the 50s as well. Which is always like funny when they try and talk about like, you know, modern Bond of like, do you know when they talk about those movies of like, oh man, all those old Bond movies are like really sexist and racist and misogynistic and stuff. And then like people say, well, you know, it's, you can't really go against the author's intent. And then you got an interview with Ian Fleming 10 years after he created the character going, yeah, he was a bit shit. <laughs> and that was in the 60s he was saying that. To Playboy magazine. Oh my God. Another general attitude of prejudice that Fleming's Bond gives is voice to includes his approach to homosexuality, which is odd considering that Fleming had a number of gay friends, and his edit- including his editor, William Plomer. Um, he said that his books were written for warm-blooded heterosexuals, although his attitude went somewhat further with Bond, with Bond the character opining that homosexuals were, and I quote, which quoting James Bond directly here, a herd of unhappy sexual misfits, barren and full of frustrations, the women wanted to dominate and the men wanted to be nannied. Adding that he was sorry for them, but had no time for them. And don't forget as well that there's a James Bond moment where he does that thing, one of the possibly the most offensive things... People say about gay women, James Bond fucks a lesbian straight. Oh. And that's in one of the movies. Oh, yeah. That, oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. All of that is pretty fucking rough. Which is weird. Right? That's the thing. It's like, it's, but as Fleming himself would know, James Bond is a complex character. Like, you know, he does undeniably good quote quote-unquote good things because he saves the world but a person who's willing to make those choices is not necessarily going to be the best adjusted person Mm -hmm. like they're going to have to have some sociopathic tendencies in there where he doesn't really give a fuck about anybody else and he's a product of the times yeah i just thought that'd be that'd be an interesting um discussion because you know like james bond like we've got daniel craig he's coming back for what one more movie right is is he? I don't know. Why does he keep doing it? He doesn't seemingly like it. He hates being James Bond, but he loves the money, I suppose. He but does, yeah. yeah. I, don't know, I guess can't, to end on, like, him. is there anyone you would like to see play James Bond? Because there's only, like, James Bond is, like, there's not many characters like James Bond, I suppose. Right? The only real criteria for playing James Bond is they have to be British. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a couple of ones, I know Idris Elba was being floated around for a while, but Idris Elba's way too old. Yeah, I was like, he's say, like nearly like, fifty I, now. Maybe ten, yeah. fifteen years ago, they could have done that, but Idris Elba's too old. I, I think, like, yeah, maybe now more modern Bond anyway, because obviously a lot of the older Bonds are older, but they're looking for more of like an action star that they can set up for ten to fifteen years worth of movies. Like, yeah, it probably should start with a bit of a younger actor at this yeah. point. So James Bond is similar to um, like comic book movie wise, because that's the mm. best example to use is um, someone like. Uh, Professor X. Well, Professor X realistically just needs to be bald and yeah. a good orator. That's why we said, like, before he unfortunately passed away, Lance Reddick would have made a great Professor X because mm-hmm. he's yeah. bald and he has that very authoritative voice. He has great presence. Mm-hmm. Likewise, for like Magneto, Magneto, like, it's important that, you know, has to have 
presence, charisma, and a great. And that's why we said Giancarlo Esposito. So yeah. in that vein, like I think for Bond, one of the ones I've seen floated around. I know Tom Hardy's one. I don't. I think Tom Hardy looks too rough. Like Maybe Tom Hardy. Bit, Tom, yeah. Tom Hardy just looks like he smells. <laughs> Not in a bad way. He just looks like he's just come back from the gym. Yeah, he probably has to be first. Yeah, Tom but Hardy. He's, like, but what I saw is like John Boyega. Ooh, I saw John Boyega yeah. because he's like John Boyega when he's his swag ass suits on the red carpet, mm-hmm. and he's young enough. So he's like, you know, he's like just like early thirties. So I thought so John you, Boyega could be a good one. I was gonna say just like trigger everyone by making it Tom Holland. I, I think that could only. Work. I think Tom Holland would make a better cue. See, I think Tom Holland could work in the sense of like he is a young, suave Englishman who's good at like action. But yeah, I don't see him ha- like. I don't know. There's something about like the the presence of James Bond That's, that yeah, I always I, I don't think, in like yeah, a different I, light. I don't think Tom Holland can. He doesn't have the presence. So see, he's a good I, actor, but I don't, I don't think, think if he, you saw him in suit, I'd say, that's James Bond. Don't you see like Piers Brosnan? I don't think Brosnan. he can pull off like, oh, this guy is like a misogynist that loves sleeping around and all that bollocks. Even, like, if they, even if they change that, I just don't think that he could carry off like the walking into a room in a suit mm-hmm. and all eyes being on him because he looks so fucking cool. I was just saying that to trigger people because everyone's oh, okay. always like, oh, everything's Tom Holland nowadays. It's like, all right, all right. I've seen he's Henry in, Cavill. Like, four movies. Like, Henry Cavill's been thrown around quite a lot as well because like he's got the suaveness, he's got the physicality. I think he'd have to tone down a little bit. Like he couldn't he's be too Superman buff because like you wouldn't watch that man walk into a room and pay zero attention to him. No, like, he's he's almost like he's almost distractingly handsome as well. Uh, yeah, especially with like combine that with how big he is. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I have seen that one of like people think like um, Henry Cavill or like, John Boyega is the one that I've seen. I thought that could really John Boyega is a really good shout. Yeah, I've not really thought about this until you've like asked me now. But one another joking one is like I you know thinking about like oh another person you know similar role Doctor Who mm-hmm. of like who's played them in the past imagine like just Peter Capaldi swearing up a storm as James Bond telling they could, they could go for like a different one that make him older there's also the idea mm-hmm. that make it go a bit more cartoonish because I was just looking at like you know some art an article here that's like you know just some suggestions people have put forward one of mm-hmm. them is Matt Berry oh <laughs> like make, make, so but make it go all the way back to be like a campy 60s romp mm-hmm. Joy in the vein of like um, Austin Powers and just yeah. make it Matt Berry. That's the thing is, like, Matt Berry could be Austin Powers. He couldn't be James Bond, but I'd fucking love to see it anyway. Yeah. But it was just, like, um, a couple of examples. Like, like, Matt Berry, and then there's, like, Dev Patel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed would be a good actor as well, because he's, like, a you know, handsome British dude. Like, I don't see any of those three, though, as portraying, like, complete sociopath that could just murder people on a whim. But they could be a different kind of Bond. That's they, the, could the, be, you, they could be. They could be. Because that's what they did with... Um, uh, we've said his name like four times after Pierce, Daniel Craig. Like they, Daniel Craig, yeah. They try and shift the tone. They went to the more realistic tones. If they went back to the more campy tone of um, uh, the Pierce Brosnan movies, mm-hmm. and they made it more like you know classic of like uh, almost not in terms of the action, but you know the look of like you enjoy it's like a, a John Wick movie, and it's just like panning shots of a cool location. Mm. Make it go back to that. Yeah, there's a lot of actors, and I, I'm not one of these people as well that um, think that James Bond couldn't just be translated as a woman. 
Uh, it's a, it's, it's like, a code name, Jane Bond. Yeah, it's literally same just thing for Jane Bond being black or Asian. Doesn't matter. Yeah, they could just be anyone or anything. I know we've mentioned a lot of men here because, like, that's generally what the speculative talk is walking around. Because, yeah. like, yeah, it's always been a male character, but I hate those people that are like James Bond shouldn't be a woman. Like, it's like, but it's just they're a special agent. It shouldn't matter who they yeah. are. It's the same thing. Like, the only thing that's important is that James Bond is British. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. want to be even more pedantic, British Scottish, which was a thing that changed because in the books, um, Ian Fleming himself um, did not like the idea of Sean Connery being Bond, stating Bond is British, English specifically, not Scottish. However, he was so impressed by Sean Connery's performance, he wrote into James Bond's backstory that he is Scottish, which just oh, goes right, to okay. show that you can change the way a character is portrayed. Like the original author of James Bond retroactively made James Bond Scottish in response to a person's portrayal of him. I didn't realise that. Yeah, I'd um, kind of forgotten about Sean Connery because he's obviously way before our our time. But yeah, yeah, to me, just thinking in my head of like, oh, well, you've got Daniel Craig and you've got uh, Pierce Brosnan. Like, I would assume that James Bond was English, not Scottish. But that's cool. That's cool, yeah. But the only thing is, is is he's just British. Because it's a British well, icon. Yes. Yeah, That's the only course, thing that really matters. Carl, Same thing. Are you telling me that people don't see a distinction between Scottish and English? Oh, yeah, of course, like... yeah. Of course they do. But what <laughs> I mean is, is there's like, some tension. I'm using it interchangeably, just like as long as, like, you know, because it's one of our cultural experts. Same like Doctor Who. Doctor Who could be played by anybody, but they should probably be from somewhere in Britain, whether that be Wales, Ireland, or Scotland, or England. Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland. Again, I, we don't. I don't want to anger people. It's difficult. People our country's a fucking mess. Yeah. Or well, or not our country's Carl. Or like what? Is, like I don't even know what it's classified as. Like mm-hmm. our combinations of countries and yeah. islands and the difference between fucking Britain, Great Britain, United Kingdom, and all this bollocks. Yeah. It's, and there's just there's one a last complicated mess. There is just one last one I'd like to suggest. Because that's like just an example. I thought Will Poulter. Okay, I, I've never really seen Will Poulter not do goofy. But you've seen him now when he's like fucking stacked but Will Poulter. But the moment he's 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 like he got jacked, but he's still playing a super goofy character. He could be Goofy Bond though. I feel. I don't feel like you can make him goofy. I think like, John Boyega could do goofy. Funny to see, but like I don't think that like it would be withholding of the, the movies very well to like make him proper goofy i think though like um john boyega could do goofy jay's bond i think john boyega could do serious bond he could do both but i feel like joe like the pierce brosnan tone with like laser beams yeah. and shit mm-hmm. and like flying invisible ca- flying invisible cars yeah and he's got well, a lot of charisma the... we talk about charisma like, i think like, john boyega has a lot of natural charisma he does and that's the thing though i i see a bit of a distinction between like the camp elements of James Bond in, like, the Brosnan stuff. And, like, yeah. it's not goofy, but it is a bit campy. Yeah. I don't want it, sil- like, full-on silly goofball, like, fucking Adam Austin Warlock Powers. style and Austin Powers and all this, yeah. I would love it if it did, though. That'd be fun. But, again, we've got Austin Powers. Like, you could just do a parody movie of it or something. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to have, like, you know, sharks in tanks I- and laser beams and stuff again. I definitely want it to be more fun than the Daniel Craig movies. Like yeah, I, I, I watch James Bond movies and he's just like, it, the description I've heard is like, watching some of them makes you feel like you've got the flu. <laughs> Jokes about how like, gritty and dirty they are. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I watched Skyfall, and then whatever came after Skyfall, I started and never finished that movie. I turned it off. And, like, yeah, it's just... It's not interesting. It's not. Yeah, it's it's trying to be something else. Like, it's mm-hmm. the first it was trying to be Bond... And then, like, the action wasn't... Like, the action's not as good as... Oh, sorry, Bond was trying to be born. It's like, but the action's not yeah. as good as Jason Bourne. Well, I mean, the action in the Bourne movies hasn't held up particularly well. Or well, the fight scenes haven't, anyway. Well, at least the fight scene, like, it's that weird shaky cam stuff, wasn't it? Which was yeah, kind of which hasn't aged great. But I still will give it props that like, Jason Bourne feels like more of a threat than yeah. James Bond mm-hmm. does. Because Jason Bourne kills a man with a magazine. <laughs> James Bond could not beat someone with a magazine. Like, it definitely did that grounded, gritty, realistic style a lot better than the Daniel Craig movies have translated it to. Yeah. And that's the thing, because they try to do the gritty, grounded stuff, but then also have, like, the big, massive, like, the vast vistas of him, like, walking through these cool locations. Like, well, this is a perfect opportunity to introduce an invisible car. <laughs> it is. And, like, cool bring laser beams. Bring back the laser watch. Bring the do laser it. watch was the best. Just bring back all that bullshit. Yeah. And make the villains have superpowers again. No, yeah. <laughs> I remember in like one of the Daniel no one of the Pierce Brosnan movies like the villain's power was that he couldn't feel pain oh yeah I think that was dying of a day right because like, yeah. he'd had diamonds exploded into his face so he doesn't feel pain anymore yeah or when he was fighting like in the 60s where he's fighting Jaws an odd job yeah and bring shit like that back just don't bring back like all the horrible racism and misogyny, please. No, just please. the cool gadgets and silly. Just, just the cool gadgets and the interesting villains. <laughs> bring those back. Oh. Leave all the sexist and misogynist stuff back. Leave that back in um, the sixties where it belongs. Yeah, please. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> welcome to the. The week where we just discussed assholes as protagonists. Oh, that's the thing. James Bond has the potential. Like that's thing. Piers, there's probably some problematic elements with Piers Brosnan and Bond. I'm sure. Just, yeah, I haven't the, watched them in ages. Yeah. But just the way that Piers Brosnan played the character was just so charming. And then I watched like the old ones with like, like the like the James Bond movie they go with Japan, and just the oh, way they talk yeah. about Japanese people, and it's like fucking hell. Or like yeah. the, even the Daniel Craig one. Where he rescues like the woman from being sex trafficked and then has sex with her in the shower as she's oh. crying and what and it's like, who wrote this? Oh. It's just a, such a disgusting, tropey part of the character that needs to be left behind. And you know what the best bit about it is? In Austin Powers, which is a parody of James Bond there is a line people single out of when like Austin Powers is like making out with a woman Hmm. and she goes come on come on Austin let's do it and he says no it's not right you're drunk Austin Powers the horniest man in the world and a direct parody of James Bond is not as weird and rapey as James Bond is and he's got more respect he's got more respect for women than James Bond the character he's a parody of Jesus Christ. It's insane. And those movies still hold up because of that. I like that thing is I, take everything I've said with a grain of salt because I haven't watched any of the old like Austin Powers and um like you know pre Daniel Craig James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched any of them since like 20 years ago maybe. Yeah. The Austin Powers ones hold up because they're so cartoonish. A lot of the stuff it's done in that very cheeky British way. I know it's not mm. like, I, like they're made in America, but do that cheeky British way of like the line from Michael Caine. 
at the end where it's like, um, uh, there's two things I hate. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. <laughs> it's like that. Or like the silly like pun names where it's like the two Japanese girls like Fook Me and Fook You. Which like, you look at that and go, that's a bit. Uh, then you remember Octopussy. Yeah, that's the thing is that was a parody. Pussy but galore. That was genuine kind of shit that was in James Bond movies. Yeah, another thing in the James Bond movie, they played it serious. Of like, yeah. what's your name? Pussy galore. Is that really any better than Ivana Hump a lot? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Let's think Austin Powers has aged better than James Bond. Oh. I would watch another Austin Powers movie tomorrow. I would not watch a James Bond movie. Dear, oh dear. Cheers, everybody. Yeah, let us know which wiki won this week. And, like, yeah, let's let's talk about some fun Tekken characters rather than these two assholes in the comments. <laughs> which Tekken character do you think James Bond could be in a fight? None of them, <laughs> I don't think. I think Ling Zhao Yu would kick his ass. Oh, she'd, God, yeah. Ling Zhao Yu would hear the stuff he said about Asian people and fucking whoop that man's ass. Like, she beat up Heihachi once. Yeah. Get that French dude, that French, new French character who's just Daddy John Wick. He'd oh, kick man. the fuck out of James Bond. Sorry, yeah, the dogs were just like kicking off again in the background. So thank you everyone for watching. Yep. And Let's be we'll time. see you all next time. <laughs>